I would say regardless of what it is, like commit to something if you really love it or if you're really passionate about it, that would be great. Don't be afraid to be successful and don't be afraid to fail. What is up and welcome back to Where Are All My Friends? I am having so much fun doing this podcast, so thank you guys for listening. It means so damn much to me. Um... This week's guest is a really, really cool one. Uh, It's kind of exactly what I wanted out of doing this show. Like the whole idea was to sit down with these friends and people and hear their full stories um, and like get some motivation and some insight out of it. And that's exactly what this was. This week's guest is Joshua Moore from We Came As Romans. And the reason I like this episode so much is he has a really, really good story and he has really really good perspective on just music in general uh he's been through a lot like he's been through a lot of very high highs and very low lows and the person that he is throughout all of that is frankly incredible so not only does he have an amazing story and we get into it uh really in quite a lot of detail just the whole story but even past that He has really amazing insight and an outlook on everything and kind of grew even past just being a musician, kind of more onto like the entrepreneurial side where he started a marketing company and he's doing a lot of other cool projects, which we get into. Um, So really like that's exactly what I want out of this episode or out of the show is stories like this. So Hopefully you like it as much as I did and it inspires you and maybe you learn something new about him, the band, or just uh, get some inspiration to go do something. So there it is. We'll get into it. Um, If you do like this episode, let me know and share it on social media because that shit helps so much. Seriously, like seeing people share the Instagram stories or tweeting it uh, means the world to me. Like it makes me so happy and I love hearing feedback and I love the DMs of what you guys take away from the episodes, but I also always want to improve. I want to hear the questions that you want me to ask, the guests you want me to have, anything like that. But sharing it on social media is the best way to spread the word and it helps it grow so much. So definitely do that if you like the episode. If you want to leave me five stars on iTunes and drop a nice little comment in there, that's cool too. I think it helps with like iTunes algorithm stuff that I don't fully understand yet. But uh, yeah, just overall, it means a lot hearing from you guys and seeing you share it. So that's, uh, that's my line. There it is. I really hope you like this week's episode. Let's get into it. So yeah, I really like that we're here right now. We're sitting in my car outside of a festival that you just played, watching fireworks go off around Disney. Um, definitely a, a magical podcast setting. Yeah. You know, I've always wanted to be alone in a dark parking lot with you. This is always how they told me that podcasting would go. But, yeah. Uh, here we are. Dreams come true. Well, there are the fireworks from Disney, so it's it's got to be a sign. I bought you those, actually. That was part of this plan. That was expensive. Yeah. Well, you know, you're worth it. They're not cheap. Yeah. That's all right. Anyway. Um, yeah. So with this, I told you a little bit about the outline, but basically the idea of learning like your story kind of like from the beginning and all that. So take me back to like, take me back to like Josh in like 
middle school ish. Actually, start. Where are you from? Where were you born? Oh, so I was born in Royal Oak, Michigan. It's like a suburb of Detroit. Okay. Damn. So you've been in Michigan. You're like born and raised. Yeah, pretty much. I, I lived in LA for like ten months, and uh, that sucked. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> Don't move here. Anyone thinking about it? <laughs> it's a fucking trap. That's why I'm so excited that I have you here right now because I know that you stay the fuck away. Yeah, I. Everyone should. It's a, it's a soulless place out here. Listen, man, it's okay. Anyway, so born. Tell me again. Royal Oak. That yeah, that Royal is what Oak. I said. You're such a good listener. I know. I'm trying. So Royal Oak, Michigan, suburb of Detroit. And then did you grow up there? Did you move around? Yeah, so I grew up in Royal Oak. And then uh, like halfway through elementary school, I moved to a different city, another suburb called Troy, because they had uh, better public schools. Okay. And so uh, my parents divorced when I was like three. They ended up both getting remarried. And so I moved with my mom and my stepdad to Troy. And then... uh, my dad still lived in Royal Oak for all of that time. So I guess you could say I lived in Royal Oak um, every Tuesday for four hours and every other weekend. Holy shit. But at three, it's not like you could have even picked, right? Yeah. And I don't think I moved out of Royal Oak until I was like, I don't know, six. It's like third grade. I don't know how old you are in third grade. I was third grade years old. <laughs> I never remember either. I'm trying to think, and I, I'm so bad at that. But, yeah, I mean, Royal Oak and Troy bordered each other, so it's not like I'd moved a far distance. For sure. So. Um, okay, and then take me to, like, like, was it... Do you remember, like, enjoying growing up, going to school there? Like, what was that picture of, like, young life in Michigan? Yeah, it was cool. Uh, I played a lot of street hockey with my friends. No shit. You know, that's it's so Detroit, Michigan. so Michigan and, you know, hockey, and that's tight. Because back then, like, the Red Wings were still, like, the dynasty team that they were for many years. So every kid played hockey, and uh, that was cool. Uh, living in Troy was, like, me, my my older sister, my younger sister, and then I had an older stepsister and stepbrother. So there were seven of us in the house. So it was a little busy, so it was always, like, good to, like, go out. Like, whenever I hung out with friends, we never hung out at my house. I, like, always hung out at whoever's Just friend's house, your house, you know. And that's, like, like, the prime age to go for, like, sleepovers at your friend's house on the weekend, you know. So you kind of, like, by circumstance had it pretty good, actually. Yeah. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't bad. Cool. So then... With that, like, were you I'm trying to find, like, were you, when did you find music? Because I know music is a huge part of your life. So you grow up playing street hockey. Yeah. Where's the first time you found any type of music? So, you know, in, in fourth grade, as required by state education, everyone played the the recorder. Really? Yeah. Everyone had to go to recorder class. And uh, so naturally that sucked. Because yeah, a bunch of kids playing recorders, like the things already don't stay in tune. Also, like if you have ever YouTube shitty flute, anything, YouTube that and that's what it sounds like. Yeah, I can't um, imagine a recorder ever sounding good. Yeah, so there was that, but it was like cool and fun. And then the next year we like picked which instrument we wanted to play. You know, they had a bunch of instructors come to school and you got to demo it all out, whether it be 
uh, like an, like an orchestra instrument, brass, woodwind, whatever. And uh, I remember I signed up to play uh, the viola, actually. And I got back to class and I had learned that my best friend at the time, um, he signed up to play trombone. So I walked back down to the cafeteria slash gym and uh, changed it to play trombone no instead way. of viola. And then I came back to class and I was like, oh, oh yeah, I signed up for trombone too. Holy shit, the old, the old bait and switch. Yeah, and I actually played trombone until I graduated high school. And uh, I was in marching band for two years, ninth and 10th grade. Uh, middle school, I was in jazz band. All through high school, I was in like symphony band, symphony orchestra type stuff. And uh, that was like a huge part of, of music for me. I started playing guitar in like sixth grade-ish. Um, I didn't really take it remotely serious until high school though i just like wanted to play guitar because my dad played guitar so i had like a shitty starter acoustic that was like 50 bucks whatever yeah like just to like kind of fuck around and play something yeah so you know i i remember i took guitar lessons uh in like eighth grade at uh at church because my mom worked at a church for like 11 years and so uh, I'm pretty sure she got like free lessons for her son or discount lessons or something. Yeah. Um, and my instructor, like naturally I'm there and I want to learn how to play like songs by uh, Reliant K and like cool shit like that. And my instructor's like, I'm going to teach you the minor seven chord and like all this theory shit that I was like, don't care about at all. And you said and you're I how old he, at this time? I was in like eighth grade. And he was so, teaching me all this music theory, and I was just didn't care. Yeah, which is funny because later on, when I actually started writing songs for We Car, it's yeah. like all that I've used was like the theory that I learned back then. Yeah, well, it's funny because it, like, you're saying became, all this. Yeah, it became the most useful thing. But at the time, I was like, "This sucks. Like, this is not fun. Like, I want to learn how to play some shitty Green Day song or yeah, like this, this is, is cool. And this all... is how you remind me by Nickelback. <laughs> you know? Give me any of these power chords. What's yeah, up? stuff like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. So that was like, I guess all my my music stuff until I like graduated high school. I did that marching band for two years, like the freshman and sophomore year, like I said, and then I quit that. We like had a change in band instructor, and I didn't get along with the new guy. And so I quit marching band, and then coincidentally, that summer, I was the last member added to um, my band now. Oh, crazy. So that happened as early as high school. Yeah, I was 15 when we started. We came as Romans. What? Back That's... then, it was called This Emergency. Very cool name. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. Um, so, yeah, I was 15. I was the last original member added i was playing in youth group band with my friend johnny and he was like hey i have band practice tomorrow we need a guitar player like do you want to come with me and i was like uh yeah i want to be in a band so yeah. i went to band practice and then they like had their meeting and they're like okay we want you to join the band that day and, you yeah. made the cut that day yeah and it was which is funny because i was dog shit at guitar like more <laughs> dog shit than i am now but somehow it like worked out and, well, uh, yeah, that's okay. the day I joined what would become We Came as Romans. Well, that's perfect, because I was going to ask you, like, I wanted to know, like, what was high school Josh like, right? Like, because, like, middle school, from a very early age, you were playing some kind of music, but, like, what were, like, did you have other hobbies? Like, were you, you were playing street hockey, but, like, 
that's such an early age to join the band. Like, was there anything formative before that? Like, before joining or, like, yeah, like joining your first band? Like, I mean, before that, I would, uh, I guess I was, like, the, like, band nerd type. Okay. Like, essentially... Like, I was in marching band, and I was in symphony band, and I played in jazz band, and I loved playing trombone. And at that point, you know, I was like, oh, maybe I can go to college and learn how to, like, compose movie scores and stuff. And so I went from being, like, a band kid to being in, like, a scene band. Right. Like, you were, like, traditional band kid. You were, like, marching band and, like, get a scholarship. and And then I was a scene kid. And at that point, our high school had about 2,000 kids in it, mm-hmm. and, um, like, the scene kids in my school were the lineup of the band. At that point, we had already, like, switched out our bass player, and all of us were going to the same high school, and all the scene kids in the entire school was, like, our band and our, like, four friends. That like, was it. Literally 10 kids out of 2,000. What was everyone else like? Like, what was the, what was cool then? Like, what would be another thing that you'd be into? Um, picking on the scene kids. <laughs> like, picking on all 10 of us? Yeah, I mean, I'll put, like, that was back in the day where, like, you could call, like, kids gay in front of teachers and nothing would happen and everyone would laugh. Yeah. Like, this is legitimately 15 years ago. That's and crazy. so here I am, you know, wearing my size 16 girl jeans, yeah. like double zeros, yeah. you know, a youth large soccer jersey that I got at Salvation Army yeah. using my sister's hair straightener. Like, I looked like an idiot. Like, I look back on those photos and I remember like feeling like I looked so cool. Yeah. You know, and we all did because we were in a band and we were like the cool scene kids. But like literally the rest of the high school was just like, you guys are idiots just like jocks like whatever yeah Yeah. and it was like and it was fine because we there were so few of us Mm -hmm. that it's not like we could ever like back ourselves up or defend ourselves or any of that and it was a you know at the time like you could say whatever the fuck you wanted about anyone yeah at any point so you guys were easy targets like oh yeah kids would pick on you oh all the time and it would just be like okay whatever that guy's that guy's a dick yeah whatever move on so damn okay so yeah because like at such an early age you basically just go from like yeah cool music is awesome i'm gonna play this this and this Mm -hmm. mess around on your guitar and then pretty early into high school yeah so i was 15 when i uh i guess i can say joined yeah what would be we came as romans um and I didn't know it was that early. Oh, yeah. And I didn't even like heavy music. I remember them, like, showing me, like, they're like, oh, like, listen to this song. It's called Ride the Wings of Pestilence. Oh, my God, from first to last. Isn't that so cool? And, like, have you heard of Chiodos? They're from here. What? And, like, like, here, check out this album. It's called Pass the Flask. And at the time, I was like, I came from loving, like, you know, Reliant K and Five Iron Frenzy to early Taking Back Sunday and Brand New. And now I'm suddenly in like this, quote, heavy band that I just straight up didn't know any of the bands and didn't even like any of the bands. I remember our our original bass player's last show, it was our third show ever as a band. It was at this shitty-ass bar called The Rusty Nail. And we're in between changeover, 
and uh, everyone is singing this fucking song, and I'm like, this song sucks. Like, I don't even know what this is. I like walk up to him. I'm like, what is this? He's like, he's like, you don't know who Under Oath is? Holy! And I was like, no, this is bad though. Like, I legitimately, I'd like. I would try to like listen to the music they recommended me. Like I'd put on like a Chiodo CP before they signed to EVR and released All's Well That Ends Well. Yeah. And like actually would fast forward the screaming parts. Like I memorized <laughs> the songs to know where the screaming parts were and I would fast forward it because I would be like, this shit sucks. Holy crap. Like, that's that not was, even cool. That was when they were the Chiodos bros. Yeah, it was yeah. it was right after they like officially changed their name because I think it's when they started like um not talking to, but they were already signed to Equal Vision and they were getting ready to release their first CD. Yeah. So all they had at the time was like the old EP and they were getting ready to release All's Well That Ends Well. And yeah, like I, I just, I hated, I didn't hate heavy music, but I was just like, this screaming is like fucking nonsense. So then why do you think that was like, was it just the sense of community, like being in a band with your friends, or like what oh, led yeah. you to it? I just wanted—I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to play guitar on stage, and I liked the music part of it. But it was like vocally, like it was just something new to me that I wasn't used to doing. Yeah. You know, I came from a background of like being an intern at church, and yeah. you know, going to fucking youth group, and yeah, oh, wow, that's a sentence. Going to fucking youth group. <laughs> <laughs> but, fucking youth group, brother. Yeah. And it's like, so I just like wasn't used to it. Not to mention the quality of recordings back then was not at its peak. So everything kind of sounded like shit anyways. Yeah. You know, yeah, but it's, it's the more I listened to it and I'd like get into the lyrics of it and stuff. Cause that was like another huge thing to me. Mm. You know, I'd, I'd heard, um, you know, taking back Sunday's first CD and brand new's first CD. And, uh, actually at that point, Deja was already out. And I think uh, Where You Want to Be would come out that year, maybe the next year. Anyways, and I was just like, these lyrics are fucking awesome. Like, I want to write lyrics. I want to write awesome shit like that. And so as soon as I was able to, like, delve into, like, the actual lyrics of what was going on, I was like, oh, this is tight. And then, like, screaming in songs just became normal to me. And it wasn't, like, muffled garbage. It was like, oh, I, I can understand this. This is cool. Yeah, so, like, where it started off is almost like you as an outsider to this whole scene and you didn't know and you were just excited to be in a band. It ends up almost being, like, this blessing of because you weren't influenced by anything and you just had your friends and you had, like, a fresh take on it, you could bring everything that you liked to the table and kind of mix it into something of your own. Yeah, it was it was a weird mix because the the whole first year of the band, our like original drummer wrote like all the songs, and he was the way that I remember it. And at this point, I could be completely off because this is fucking fourteen years ago. Just like really controlling about it, and it was one of those things where like when it came time to get a new drummer, we were like, okay, Sean, like we we we're kicking you out. He's like, well, I quit. Mm. We're like okay that's fine like we don't care you're just not in the band he's like yeah because i quit (laughs) we're like okay like it was like that kind of relationship at least the way that that i remember it yeah and so like the whole first year i didn't write anything for the band and then we had two vocalists at the time um 
and they were writing all the lyrics because they were the vocalists. Yeah. So I was literally just in the band playing songs that the original drummer wrote that, you know, I didn't even know what our lyrics meant or what they were or any of that right. shit. I was just, I guess, getting acclimated to this whole scene of, quote, hardcore bands. And were you liking it more and more, like, for that time? Because, like, obviously now I know you're such a huge piece of the music, but, like, for that year, was it kind of you just, like, getting more and more used to it and, like, understanding it and getting comfortable with playing? Like, what was that like? Like, what was that year like? Yeah. And right off the bat, I really... I'm thought you were going to say you're such a huge piece of shit <laughs> i was like you're such a I was like, huge, Where is this going? huge piece of shit now that i can't <laughs> like, believe like that's all that i actually heard you say so. <laughs> you're like panicking before i say the words you're, you, you're just about to say this on the podcast <laughs> right here i thought we were roasted friends. on podcast nice um but yeah i mean it was cool like playing shows and you know being like I guess, like, cool. Like, being in a band was cool within the scene. Fuck like, it, yeah, it, it was. At school, it sucked. But, like, on the weekends, it was it was very cool. And it was, like, cool to have, like, our little own, like, clique, like, group of friends. And we were different. And we were just having fun and, you know, started smoking cigarettes because no parents, no rules. Yeah. Even though my mom caught me all the time. So there were totally parents and rules. <laughs> but, you know what they say, once you start wearing girls' jeans, you just... You know, you never look back. You never do. <laughs> That's what they all say. That's what they say. We didn't make that up. I, That's just what they say. Listen, you can't argue with the elders. They also <laughs> say that. Well, that's like another crazy piece is like you're 15 years old and like how shortly into it, like you guys were playing like weekend runs or weekend shows. Like how early into this did you start touring? Um, Let's see. I went on my first self-booked tour we booked a tour on myspace we yep. bought a van off of another band mm-hmm. we booked this like two and a half week run on myspace and that was the summer before senior year damn so yeah you're in high school yeah like in school touring yeah, I think so. No, the summer before senior year, we booked this really shitty, it was only a week run, and it was in, like, surrounding states. And then we would try to play, like, weekend runs. Mm-hmm. And then it was the summer before first year of college, I was 17, that we did, like, that two-and-a-half-week run. Um, because uh, Andy and I, we were roommates our first year in college, and we picked the absolute latest registration date because we we're going to be on tour. And then I got signed up for all these, like, shit classes. And then I auto-failed all of them because they all had attendance policies. They were all at, like, 8.30 in the morning because I was the last to sign up. And so that's how I remember that one. Holy. But, yeah, like, our first time out of state, I was 16. Our first thing that I would actually call, like, a tour, I was 17. And then we broke down in North Carolina and we stayed at the Apple Blossom Motel for two days. And Andy's parents had to drive down, rent a U-Haul truck and pick us up. Because the van that you guys bought broke down? Yeah. It like cracked the engine block or something. I don't know. We had to scrap it. Oh, wow. It like good and broke down. It like, it really broke down. So, damn, what, 
at what point did it start to be like, okay, like we're gonna really do this? Like, did kids care at that point? Like, were you playing shows? To... Oh no, no one gave a fuck. We okay. were awful. We were so bad. So it was just a hobby. Yeah. So, so what would have been? I guess the next year, because that would have been summer two thousand seven. Yeah. So summer two thousand seven was that. Um, so we're all going into college for our first year. Dave is a second year. Eric. Um, our old drummer was still in high school. Mm -hmm. So we're like, all right, like we'll do college for this year. Wait for Eric to get out. Mm -hmm. So in early 2008, we had like this sit down because like Dave is going to culinary school, kind of getting close to graduating. We're like, all right, guys, let's like give ourselves a timeline. And if the band doesn't do something by this day, then we're just going to break up and go to school. Whoa. And so it was by like the end of the year, like come May when college is done, Mm -hmm. we're going to take off the next semester and try to make something happen. And then if it doesn't work out, then at the end of that year for the second semester, we can all go back to school and the band's breaking up. And Whoa. that's it. So I had like already been writing and then I wrote through that through the summer. And then in September, uh, we went in with Joey and recorded our Dreams EP. And okay. then we released it for free on like pure volume. Joey Sturgis. Yeah, Joey Sturgis. Um, when he was recording out of his friend's garage. Um, where the smash hit Someday Came Suddenly by Attack Attack was recorded. Wow. Um, Metalcore Legends. Wow. Who then went on to become Beartooth? Well, not exactly. That well, was more like Caleb plus Attack Attack crew. Okay. Johnny still makes music as well. I don't know that I don't know that world too too well, but I, I know that there were a lot of kids that were strongly influenced by Attack Attack. Yeah. It had its wave for Well, they're from a Ohio. Minute. We're from Michigan. We'd play local shows together and stuff. Like we're all friends. Yeah. And uh but yeah, so that so 2008, September 2008, we uh we are recording our Dreams EP at Joey's studio. And then we release it for free sending it to labels and all of that. And then January 2009, um, someone who became a very good friend of mine named Dan uh, came out to see us play and then sent us a contract. And then in March, we signed Equal Vision. Holy shit. So you're how old when that happens? I When we were recording Dreams in the studio, I actually turned 19 in the studio. Okay. And then um, when we signed in March, I was still 19. And then I was 20 by the time we released the Planet Seed. So this all happened, like, pretty fast. Like, you were... Yeah, we literally... We set, yeah, we set that timeline to be the end of the year something had to happen. Yeah. So, like, we released our EP, and by the end of the year, we had deals from other labels. But... It just, like, wasn't something we wanted to take, and we were really trying to go for equal vision. Yeah. Because that's who Chiodos signed to, and Chiodos was from Michigan, and that was, like, a big deal. Yeah. And um, it what turns out, uh, I think what happened was that equal vision was, like, saving all of their budget to potentially re-sign Circus Survive. Oh. But Circus Survive ended up going to Atlantic. I think it was Atlantic, pretty sure. And so come, you know, 2009, everyone's budget renews. And it was like two weeks into that we did like this little run with uh, 
of Machines, if anyone remembers that band. I remember that name, but I don't remember anything else with it. And uh, the whole purpose was, like, essentially for, like, Dan to come see us at the, what was it, Seven Venue in Douglasville, Georgia? Georgia. Yeah. Is that that, like, it used to be a movie theater or whatever? I don't know. Uh, Like, the guy that runs it, I think, is, like, the father-in-law to one of the guys in the chariot or something yeah that crazy like that but okay so yeah we like dan came to see us and we're like oh man i hope we like sounded good and okay and then at the end of the night he all gave us equal vision records t-shirts and we're like oh i think that means that he's gonna send us an offer and then he sent us one like the following monday and then in march we went out on tour with the number 12 looks like you wow our last night direct support wow I see stars two of four and we opened. Wow. And then on that tour, we rolled through in Albany where EBR is and signed our deal. Wow. Okay. Cause I want to take a second on this one. Cause this is like where our worlds collide because for me, I grew up in Florida, had my time like getting into music with the set it off guys, all that. And like, I, we ended up signing to Equal Vision and like, I think it's just important to talk about just for a second, like the significance of Dan Sanchaw, because like that could just be a name. And I don't know, like if the listeners are going to know, or I don't know like what genres or what music, like anybody's listening to, but like, I think it's really important to explain like that time, like that time period, what's going on with music. Like you explained, like those bands being the scene kids in high school, all that. And like, it was still such a young developing scene. So like you were the huge outcast, right? And like, it was a big risk to like do anything. It wasn't like an oversaturated market. Like it was just coming up and people were still figuring it out. And like, yeah, like those Chiodos albums in the very beginning, like sounded terrible. And like, it was just everybody figuring it out. And Dan was like the ultimate of ultimate OGs like the kindest dude who just could somehow spot talent at such a raw form and is like the integral piece or a a huge integral piece. Obviously there's Francesca there too, but like a huge integral piece in in EVR forever. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't be here in this car with you if it wasn't for Dan. Yeah. Like he just played a huge part in what, my life was then and what it was able to like become you mentioned francesca she was our first publicist over there yeah um which is funny to say because like at the time like i didn't know why anyone would want to talk to us yeah we were such a small tiny band yeah you know and it was like oh we have a publicist now like this is crazy and you know we didn't know what anything was i think it was on that number 12 tour like we found out what the word backline meant wow. and what it was to to backline gear. So you so you guys like you signed but like you were still very much young local green band. Well yeah, cuz all the tours that we were doing, we were like booking ourselves. Yeah. When we signed, we had just gotten our first booking agent like a month before that. Mhm. So prior to that, we had booked everything ourselves. Yeah. And so we never, like, did legit tours or did tours with big bands or any of that. Yeah. Like, every tour that we ever did was just us booking ourselves for $100 a night. Yeah. 
Well, I don't know. Like, there's, it's just, it's crazy because I think about, like, again, I don't know, I don't know who the listener necessarily is, right? But I know that there's now an entire new wave of music and, like, this new DIY scene and this scene where it's, like, a lot of kids don't even have a band or have something to tour with, right? Like, a lot of times now you can make music on your laptop, you can do anything, produce, do all this stuff, and just release it online, so like it's just kind of magic for me to hear you explain this and talk about it because it really does bring me back to like a different era where it oh, wasn't it's, like it's that. Fucking nuts. Like, let, me, let me tell you this good story and this will give you a, give you an insight as to what era it is. So it's November 2009. We're releasing to Plant a Seed, our first record ever. Yeah. I make the moral decision that every road scan we turn in yeah. is going to be to the T, 100% accurate, no matter what. And I should even explain a road scan. Uh, oh, yeah. Just people because know what people is. might, not everybody would. All but. right, so back in the day when people used to buy CDs, on the road you would sell CDs and you had to report these to Nielsen SoundScan. Yeah. So it got added to your to your number of CDs sold because obviously they weren't sold through a retailer. Yeah. And then... Um, generally they would just be like, okay, this number's good, and they would add it. Yeah. And so it was like a way to keep track of like what CDs you sold on the road. Yeah. What actually happened is that everyone just lied about how many CDs that they sold. You would just take a general percentage of how many people were there. Uh, let's say there's 100 people there. You would just take like 10% of that. Be like, oh, we sold 10 CDs tonight, even if you sold three. Yeah. And that was just what happened. Yeah. I was so against that, though, because here I am young young moral Joshua. That's right. It was forced into his metal band, forced and to straighten his hair. So we debuted with like 3,000 and like 40 records sold or 3,049 or something, like barely over 3,000, yeah. which was a huge milestone. Like we needed to hit 3,000. And also that week we did like 32 total road scans out of like the whole week. And I had a, a call with one of our then managers and he was just like, listen, you have to start lying on this. And I was like, no. I was like, absolutely not. And he, and he gave me this list of bands. And to this day, I could not recall a single name. Because back then, I was like, I don't know who any of those bands are. And he goes, yeah, there are a bunch of metal bands on Sumerian that sold 300 CDs on the road last week. Do you think they actually did? And I was like, no, because I don't know who that is. And neither do you. And he's like, yeah, but this is just the game that you're playing. Like, this is the world you're in. Yeah. So if you don't want to start doing this, all of these bands are going to outsell you. And when you go and apply to apply, when you go and submit yeah. to be an opener on a tour, they're going to get picked over you because they've sold 20,000 records and you've only sold 15,000 records. Yeah. When in actuality, they've sold probably 8,000 records and you've sold 15,000 records. But that's not what the numbers say. That's so crazy. And it puts it in such perspective because, like, it really, I mean, so that's 2009 that this conversation's happening? Yeah. So I don't even think we submit road scans anymore. No. Like, that's how much that number doesn't matter. But, like, think about that. So we're in 2019 now, right? Yeah. So 10 years and the entire scope of being a young up-and-coming artist has entirely shifted, right? Like, yeah. you could, because back then, like, you're not going to, like... The internet, oh no, there was MySpace. Like that, that was actually like music discovery was pretty sick then. 
But oh, like back then it was when like tor- torrenting first started getting huge. Yeah. And so that was like another way that at that point that manager justified it to me. He's like, how many kids at that show do you think already have your CD? Yeah. How many of them do you think bought it? Right. And he was like, so, you know, if that's the way you want to justify it, that's the way you can justify it. And yeah. I was like, well, that makes more sense. Right. At least. Just moral, Josh. I love you that. Know, but it's like, I remember going on the tour, going on this tour uh, before that tour, we, uh, which was just like a bad headliner. Actually, this is hilarious because I think Sleeping With Sirens was on it. They opened and there was a band called Tides of Man Yeah, that was on it. They're from like the same area. Yeah, and their singer just sang about 30 minutes ago with Dance Gavin because yeah. that was Tillian's band back in that day. Yeah. So we had just gotten off tour with uh, The Chariot No Sleeper. Yeah. And it was like so cool because The Chariot never turned in road scans because they just wanted their fans to like appreciate music or like something like that, something that I like really respected. Yeah. And then here I am like, oh shit, if I don't lie about these road scans, I'm going to not get a tour and, you know, the the blood of the lambs feed on dirt is going to get one. You know? <laughs> that was my favorite band, Dick. <laughs> well, sorry. <laughs> they the best my... songs. Yeah, they... Best albums. They I remember every did. single one of them. The best triggers. Um, <laughs> but well, no, like but... that was like the reality of it back then at least or at least that's what we thought the reality was that's what i was told the reality was yeah i mean like i guess like obviously that's your manager and yeah probably more your manager dan's pretty chill he probably wouldn't make you do anything but like that it was a different scope right like that's what i'm saying is like you look at 2019 now and it's just that's entirely different like but what's funny is that like everyone lied about road scans like literally everyone did and to like keep up with the other person lying about it, and it was yeah. like, well, I'm oh, I got lying about it because you're lying about it, and it's like, well, I'm only lying about it because you're lying about it. Oh, completely. No, and that's absolutely. just the way that it went until road scans became irrelevant. Right. Well, now we have Spotify plays. Yeah. Well, great story about road scans, though. You'll probably remember this. So, Warped Tour 2013, it was either 2013 or 2015, we released a record on both those Warped Tours. Mm-hmm. So the week before our record would come out. Um, I think it was like five days before, uh, sound scan day was Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So that's when they counted it. So it was like five days before they'd let you sell your record. Mm-hmm. And so we would wake up at nine 30 in the morning as a full band and walk the line of warp tour and sell CDs ourselves yeah. to fans and all yeah. sign it on the spot for them. And we sold out of an entire like shipment of CDs mm-hmm. and we did legitimately like 4,500 road scans that week for tracing back roots and sound scan like nielsen like actually audited us and like dan was telling me the story that like they like hit him up and they're like there's no way that this band did this for road scans this isn't real and he had to like explain to them that we were like walking the line of like a major festival every day and hand selling our own cds wow but like those numbers almost apparently almost didn't get added to our first week yeah which back in the day was the biggest thing ever was yeah. your first week. Oh yeah, that was any like that was everything people paid attention to. Yeah. And it's like so that that big dick number was, you know, the thing that you wanted and you know, for us to wake up early in the morning for a week straight um, you know, and I say early in the morning and people are going to be like, "Oh, 9:30 is not early." But it is when you're going to bed at 4. Yeah. You know. Um 
it's like for us to to do that like walk around in the sun for two hours every morning for a week and then sound scan be like ah no that shit's fake yeah i was like oh you better not yeah that's insane you better not mr nielsen yeah because you're not really even making that much money off your own cds when you're selling them so like it's purely off the flex like all you're trying to do is flex and get that number no we had a thing for that with dan where um he let us pay five bucks a cd and we got to keep the other five yeah that's just on the road yeah you know and so for that it was actually like it was actually like decent money for us which was fucking wild to make decent money selling a cd yeah it's the only time in our career we ever did <laughs> yeah that's crazy but, too um yeah and it so it was like we were like it it almost just didn't didn't count because nielsen was like okay you guys can embellish your numbers all you want but like 4500 or yeah. 4000 or like, whatever right, the kids, number chill. was like i i don't think so that's nuts well all right i don't want to get too far off tangent so you signed equal vision you oh, yeah, that was a pretty far tangent. We we really tangented there, That's but not I my felt fault. like you're supposed to be driving. This uh, well, thing. I know, and I I'm bringing it back now. But I felt yeah. like that was an important detail because I really did want to paint a picture because all these things were saying it's crazy now in 2019 to reflect on that. But that is what it was like to start a band and the things that you had to focus on. Yeah. So I'm just providing. I'm literally in the passenger seat. Yeah. Well, of I'm your car, okay. All right. I'll drive. Life. I'm driving now. Not you doing sign- a good job. Well, no. I'm coming back. I'm back to okay. the wheel. I was texting a little bit. I got sidetracked. I was in a group chat. That's just dangerous. Very. And you've you've called me out on it. So you signed to Equal Vision about 19 years old, yes? Yeah. And you start touring immediately. You put out your first full length, which actually made a huge wave for you. Yeah. Which And that was when? Uh, So that was November 2009 was when To Plan a Sea came out. Oh, wow. So that's like you sign in the beginning of the year and your album's out by the end of the year. Yeah, we signed in March. We recorded June, July. And then we had to go go back after we did this tour. It was the Dreams and Empires tour. We did this tour with the Word Alive. It was the first time that we had met them. And they had an EP called Empire, Empire, Empires. I don't know. Something out on Fearless. And uh, so we did this tour together and, and we're like still friends with all of them to this day. That's like one of my longest lasting and greatest uh, music friendship stories. But we had to go back for like a week after that to to redo some vocals um, that on Kyle just fucked up. Sounded like <laughs> garbage, like legit. Yeah. Um. So. But, you know, at that time, Kyle was 18. Yeah. I think Eric was 18. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say Eric was 17. But like we were like actually kids. Yeah. And so, and not, like, knowing how to, like, we we're not good musicians, <laughs> very bad musicians. Yeah. Literally kids trying to live the dream. So, yeah, we finished recording that in, I don't know, fucking July or August. CD came out in November. And then the next year we toured nonstop. And then the year after that we toured nonstop. And then we just did that for years in a row. That's Understanding, Understanding came out in the fall of 2011. So, like, two years later. So another piece with To Plant a Seed, had you started writing by then? Yeah. So I started writing a few years before that. But so To Plant a Seed had two songs from our Dreams EP on it. Mm-hmm. And I had written um, that entire EP aside from the the opening riff to one of the songs called Shapes. Um, the very first riff you hear in the song, Louis wrote that one. 
and then I took it and, and went with it. But so I had written our entire EP when I was like 18. So actually maybe even 17, like some of the parts of those songs. So like there are songs on To Plant a Seed that came out. And to me, those parts were already like two years old. Damn. Um, but yeah, lyrically, probably 98% of To Plant a Seed I wrote. Okay. You know, a line here and there. It's funny, like one of our most popular lines was, what is it? For we are nothing without brotherhood, and brotherhood is nothing without your brothers. And everyone at the time like quoted that, and they're like, "Oh, you're such an amazing lyricist!" Blah blah blah. blah. And like Dave wrote that line <laughs> out like, of the entire. It's like one of the two percent that I didn't write, so I like laugh about it. Oh my god! It it's it's pretty funny. There's also like another line in track ten about uh, like being like the man in the mirror, and when that came out. Uh, actually, Francesca like made a Michael Jackson joke at me, mm-hmm. and I was like, I honestly have no clue what you're talking about. And she's like, You've never heard that song? I was like, No. And so at that point, I heard that song by Michael Jackson for the first time in my life, and I was like, Also, I didn't write that lyric, so I feel fine. <laughs> that's it. That's another one on Dave's Dave's tally board. But yeah, pro- literally, aside from a few lines, wrote almost all the lyrics, and then musically, yeah. I wrote it on this MIDI program called Tabit, which uh, makes it sound like an 8-bit video game. Whoa. But it was pretty cool. And so all I did was import the MIDI of all those keyboard parts onto Joey's computer, and we spent hours, like, choosing sounds and duplicating it, changing sounds. Like, we went all out on all the programming to that. Damn. So, like, that that's just such an integral piece of your story to me because you go from being kid that didn't quite fit into the band but wanted to be in a band you learn all of those bands and then like where you hated the music theory in middle school and all that like all of a sudden you're a kid that can write all this music and obviously you can soak it up and replicate your version but better and then comes this and it's like for anybody not familiar with the band like it's just, I don't know, like, that's a crazy story to me that it's, like, it's your guys' first band. You go out, you're a bad local band for a little bit, but then, like, your first album that you put out on a record label ends up, like, really hitting. Like, at that time, like, that album and, like, your band, like, really got known, and that's not the story for every artist. So, like, that's a pretty incredible piece, and the fact that, like, that almost... I mean, from there, like, it was a continued snowball effect. But, like, at that point, did you guys all decide to drop out of college? Like, was it getting real enough or was there any type of turmoil there? Like, No, we were already all out by the Dream CP. Oh, okay. Because we had taken that semester off. Okay. And Eric got, like, a deferment letter. And then as soon as January came and we had, like, that contract from Dan, we were all just out for good. Yeah. Okay. So you guys dropped out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely dropped out. And was that I got, like... I actually, I got uninvited back. Wow. You rebel. It wasn't my fault. It was kind of my fault. That's crazy. So, what, like, did you realize, like, did, did your family, like, was that, was that hard for anyone in the band? Or, like, was it pretty much, like, clear enough where it was like, yeah, like, we got to go do this? Oh, no, it was so shit. Like, I remember we had to have a band meeting with, uh, with Eric's dad because Eric was the first one of his family born in the States. They're from South Korea. And his dad, you know, told us, he was like, I literally came here for my sons to go to college. There's And there's no way. And he he said something. Oh, what was it? 
It was something to the effect of, I will literally go to jail to ensure that my son goes to school. And we're like 18 and just freak the fuck out. And so Eric was able to get like uh, like one year deferment letter. And he's like, dad, I'll go back to school in one year. Just let me tour for this year. And his dad was like, okay. And then my mom cried when I dropped out. That my dad was like, I knew you're going to do that all along. <laughs> but my mom was was not stoked. Like, I I was always like, out of my sisters, like, pretty, I guess, gifted in school. If that even makes any fucking sense. Mm. Like, and so I was going to school on like full essentially like full scholarships. Yeah. And I literally just failed out. My GPA was like a 0.7 because I auto failed all my classes because I didn't go because I knew I was dropping out. Yeah. And, it, you know, at that point, I'm not thinking like, oh, I'm going to go back. I'm like, I'm going to drop out. And we're going to make it. And it's going to yeah. be great. Well, like that's because, yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at is like. So that's how I got uninvited back. Incredible. Scholarship revoked, uninvited back. Incredible. But yeah, like was the, did it line up with enough timing where you were at least seeing some kind of success or money from the band <laughs> where you could kind money. of be like, yo, we're not going to college, but like, look, ma, this is real. Not really. I mean, in my head, yes. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, shit, we're not playing shows to 15 kids anymore. We're playing shows to 50. Yeah. You know, but to my parents, it probably didn't look like it at all. Yeah. And no, after Teplanis, it would still be like, I don't know, two years till we got like our first paycheck from the band. Whoa. Really? Yeah. Because that's... After Teplanis, yeah. Because we're still opening. We're still the opening band. You know, we're on these fucking tours playing for a hundred bucks a night. Yeah. We have a manager. We have a booking agent now. So we're getting 70 bucks a night. Yeah. Got to pay taxes on that shit. Yeah. We're in a 15 passenger van. That's some gas. Yeah. So, no, you weren't. So, no, we weren't making shit for money. And back then, you're selling t shirts for 15 bucks. Yeah. If it's American apparel, 12 if it's a normal Gildan. Wow. You know what I mean? So, your profit margins on merch are dog shit. You're getting paid dog shit, but you're playing to a ton of kids. So, so it's it, it's great, but no, we didn't make shit for money for a long time. Damn, that's crazy though. So like there there definitely was kind of that like even from the outside, if it was like, whoa, this band signed to Equal Vision, this, this, and this, like you guys were still in this spot of like, yeah, like we're just gonna push through and like we think that this is gonna be a thing, but like it wasn't proven yet. Oh yeah. By the time we got to Warp Tour in twenty eleven, the summer before our second record came out, um, you know, the biggest set we've ever been as a band. And, you know, we're playing the monster stage for a thousand bucks a day. And like to make that tour happen, we took literally the cheapest bus possible. Yeah. Our first time ever on a bus. Yeah. And we took the cheapest one possible and it broke down like three days into it. And wow. then we had to ride with, um, fucking of mice and men and like miss may I to yeah. like the next show. The next show was in Vegas. Bus broke down like Albuquerque. Yeah. We had to put all our gear in a box truck. Yeah. Have our crew like drive it out and then we got a new bus because what do you think is going to happen when you rent the cheapest bus possible, you know? Wait, so you had to like pay more, you had to like upgrade and get Yeah. Some... Yeah, yeah. Damn, so like already you're like we're barely making it, like we're barely scraping by to like get yeah. this float this tour and now you're like all right, yeah, cool. But we had some fucking insane. I think it was in Toronto. We sold like fucking 25 grand in merch. Okay, so there were like early signs of like, oh shit, guys, oh, like yeah, this is gonna work. Nuts. I like almost cried, and it, like 
it's not like I don't I we've singly I think we've beat that like once since then. Wow. Like we were a new band. No one had our shirts. We're wow. this hot band on Warp Tour to Planet Seed is a super successful record. I have the plaque for, you know, a hundred thousand sold in yeah. in my closet. It <laughs> was on the wall, it's in the closet now, not a big deal. Um but it's like you know, we were riding this wave of we're a new band. No one has our shirts. Everyone's, you know, seen us for the first time ever since they heard to plant a seed. And, yeah. um, you know, before that Warp Tour, we did that uh, Day to Remember Tour, Day to Remember, Bring Me the Horizon. And then we opened, we swapped opening with Pierce the Veil. Wow. So think about that tour. A Day to Remember, Bring Me the Horizon, us and Pierce the Veil. So that's what that what tour year? was. What 2011. That's fucking crazy. And it was crazy. And what's funny is that we had to play a 30-minute set, and we almost couldn't because we only had one CD out, and to plant a seed like 34 minutes long. Wow. But um, so that was that. And so, like, it was just this insane year for us where, like, all of these kids were hearing us, and we were also kids, and we were growing at, like, this huge, like, rapid rate. Yeah. And it was awesome. But it's not like we're making money doing it. Yeah. Like, but earlier I mean, that year, we did our first, like, headliner ever. Um, our first time out of a van in five years of touring. Yeah. We were in a bandwagon. Um, we're not going to tangent this one, but I missed most of that tour. Did the whole coma thing. It's a wild time. That's the one where you almost died? Yeah, that's the one. No, this is worth a tangent. This is a crazy piece of your story where you oh, legitimately well, almost died. I forgot, I forgot you're in the driver's seat. Driver, yeah, yeah, driver yeah, yeah, yeah. where are you taking me? Well, I mean, like, I just... January there, 2011. There are so many pieces of your... Because I'm not here for, like, the We Came as Roman story. I'm here for your story. And this is, like... This is a crazy piece where you legitimately like almost died. Like all of this success, the band is coming together. Yeah. And you're on album two now? No. So To Plan a Seed comes out at the end of 2009. Yeah. That's awesome. 2010's wild. We're doing all these tours. The end of 2010, we are going to Europe for the first time. Um, it's the Never Say Die tour. Parkway Drive, Comeback Kid, Bleeding Through, a mirror. Mm -hmm. War from a Harlot's Mouth, this shitty punk band from the UK that is the only band we've ever toured with that we did not get along okay, with. You're tangenting on bands. Physical altercation with. I'm just, uh, let me remember. <laughs> this is how <laughs> I remember. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was. Yeah, so, uh, so we go to Europe our first time ever. It's this festival tour. It's fucking wild. Our first show we ever did in Europe was a sold out 3500 cap room in Oberhausen. Holy like, shit. It's Parkway Drive. It's Europe. Yeah. You know, meanwhile, we're in Europe getting paid like fucking 200 euros a night on a bus. Yeah. Not selling shit for merch. Our CD got licensed to a small label called Redfield Records. So no one knows who the fuck we are or any of our music. When we go to Europe now, we don't play anything off the first two records because it's like they were never released there. Wow. So no one gives a fuck. We lose like 20 grand on the tour. Holy. Legit. Like, actually, legit, 20 yeah. grand. You're not saying, like, a hypothetical. You're like, that's $20,000 <laughs> yeah. from the band account that yep. I saw. So after that, we go to Australia for the first time ever. It's this festival tour called No Sleep Till. Um, it's insane. It was such a cool tour. And, um, you know, it's like an eight-day tour. Six, six shows, eight days, something like that, maybe nine days. Within those 
nine, ten days, including travel time, I flew like 14, 15 times. Like, because you fly to every single show. Yeah. And then to get out there from Detroit, it's four flights. Detroit to Dallas, Dallas to L.A., L.A. to Tokyo, Tokyo. Yeah. So we fly a bunch. We get home. It's like December 20th or something, maybe 19th, 20th, 22nd, before Christmas. My left ear never pops. It's like clogged. And I'm like, oh, this is inconvenient, but whatever. Yeah. Um. My brother-in-law, who is a doctor, is like, hey, if it's still clogged after Christmas, you need to go see someone. So my mom makes an appointment for an ear doctor because I'm fucking seven years old and I need my mom to make my doctor's appointments. Mm -hmm. So she does that. And I skipped it to go do demos for understanding what we've grown to be, our second CD. Wow. Skip the the doctor's appointment. bumping you right now. Go do the demos because we're about to leave for tour. January 6th, we play in Detroit. January 8th or 9th on the way from Minnesota to somewhere else. I'm unconscious in my bunk. I spend the next five days in a coma. It was an actual coma. Yeah. It was an actual coma. Like I was completely unconscious and then like wasn't going to wake up. And then they had to keep me in a coma to regulate my temperature because my temperature was like, insane it was like 106.9 or something like literally insane the doctor's like yeah you're you're fucking cooking your brain up there bud like (laughs) literally put your brain on a hot plate like that's what i was doing to myself (laughs) turns out my i've never had ear infections i might have had one when i was like two months old but in my entire life never had an ear infection got an ear infection turned into bacterial meningitis went around the bottom of my brain all the way down my spine almost died the doctor actually told me he would like he told my parents that I was gonna come out of the coma mentally handicapped. Holy. And I like wouldn't be able to play guitar or any of that. And so the day that I was leaving the hospital, <laughs> um, you know, I was like, "Can I talk to you without my parents here? Because I'm a fucking adult, right? That's why I skip my doctor's appointments because I'm an adult." And he was like, "Yeah, so." We had you at about a 33% chance of living and, like, a 0% chance of, like, being normal. Like, I already told your parents that you were going to be, like, mentally handicapped. We just didn't know to what extent. Oh, my God. And he's like, I, we literally, there's not a medical explanation as to why you're not. And I was like, okay, tight. What? Like I got a, I got a gig to play, buddy. Though, so like, <laughs> so he's over here trying to be like, yeah, like you're supposed to be mentally handicapped, bud, and you're like, well, I'm not, and yeah, I'm trying to so, rip this gig. So, so I went home, uh, flew home, and um, and when I was in like the hospital, I contracted like this bacterial infection in my gut. Mm. Um, long story short, frequent bathroom trips in your baby. Yeah. So uh, I flew home. I was on steroid supplements. I had a pick line. It's like a peripherally inserted cardiac catheter. It's basically a tube that went in my arm and then went all the way up my arm to the top of my heart to dispense the steroids like directly into it. Oh, my God. From my understanding, I'm sure some medical whiz that listens to this one time is going to be like, that guy's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, clearly I skipped my doctor's appointment. We already went over this. <laughs> so, <laughs> Man listening is like, oh, he's right. He's right. He's yeah, got me there. So yeah. I did that for like 17 days. And then the day that I was like able to leave, I flew back out and did the last six days of the tour. 
That's so insane. Because it was our first headliner, and I'm missing it. And it sold out all of the shows besides two. One of them was Pops and Saugit. It did like 900 in the thousand of of Pops. Which I don't know why I remember that, and that doesn't really matter. Yeah. But, yeah, so I flew back out. This is that year. You're right. So I did that. Yeah. Flew back what out, did it? that tour. This is 2011. Yeah. That tour ends. We come home. We immediately, the day after we get home, go into the studio for three and a half weeks to start tracking for our second record. Wow. We leave the studio. We come home. We leave the next, we actually leave the same day because we got home so late for the Day to Remember tour. Wow. We get done with Day to Remember tour. We got done in Florida. Dave, Kyle, and I all bought a flight home for like 70 bucks. Fly home. We're home for one day. We fly to Europe the next day. We go on this tour in Europe um, with The Word Alive and, I don't know, This or The Apocalypse was another band. I forgot who all was on that tour. So we do that tour. We get home from Europe the next morning. Our flight gets delayed because we fly into Philly. The travel agent booked us with a 40-minute layover, even though we have to go through customs. So our flight gets delayed like five hours to get home because we have to hop on a different flight. I get home at like 11 o'clock at night. I leave the next morning at 7 a.m. to go back in the studio with Joey to finish the record. Holy. I'm in the studio alone for three weeks. Me, Joey, Nick Sampson. Wow. In the studio. We make the record. Dave and Kyle come down, do the vocals. We get home from the studio. Um, We're home for four days. We leave for Warp Tour. Get home from Warp Tour like August 18th. And not counting the coma and the time that I had to be at home to be like, yeah, I was home January 1st through 5th. And then a combined, uh, it was, I did the math once it was like four, no, it was three. It was like a combined six and a half days from January 6th to August 18th. That's so insane. But I should say that like, that's the best thing. Like when you have an up and coming band and like you pour your heart and soul into it, like that's kind of like the ultimate reward to be like, people care so much that you're going to be booked up. Yeah, it's pretty I mean, like that's rough on you. It's hard, but like, yeah, that's incredibly cool. And that speaks volumes of like how popular the band became right there. Yeah. So then that happened. We had two weeks off and then we went on a headliner. I think it was of mice and men and miss may I were like co-direct supports. Wow. I don't know if I'm getting my years wrong. No, I think it was then. <laughs> yeah, we were just basically gone forever, and it's like I like just got out of a fucking coma, and I'm like, all right, mom, I gotta go. Yeah, I was gonna say like at the time, did that like, did that put any type of like perspective on life or anything there? Were you like legit just so deep in it and so in love with what you were doing that you're like, cool, I get it, coma. I was supposed to be handicapped. I'm not. I'm trying to rip a gig. I'm gonna go. Like, did it process or like what was it? It did and it didn't. Like, I was really in love with it. And then, like, over the months of, like, writing the record, it's, like, that Day to Remember tour into Europe, Mm -hmm. I fell so hard, like, out of love with it. Like, and it, like, if anyone listening just goes and reads the lyrics to our second record, Understanding, Mm -hmm. like, just reads the lyrics, like, you can just tell. Like, I was just fucking done. I was like, this fucking sucks. Like, what did I do? Like, really? why Why did I do this? Um, damn. So, like, like, do you ever get kids that are asking you about that? or? Um, 
actually yesterday at our VIP, it came up to me and he was like, that's your best record. Those lyrics are the best. And I'm like, my dude. You're like, thanks. I was in a really bad spot. Yeah. But I, I mean, I agree. I think those are some of the best lyrics that I ever wrote just because they were really honest and like, I don't know, like I can read them and remember like how much like pain I was in. Not like physical pain, but yeah. like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Not trying to drive this no. one down a dark road, Mr. No. Driver Man, are you? No, 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 no. I just like, I think that like, it's really important to understand all aspects of the journey where it's like, yeah, like it's sick. It's everything you could ever ask for in your band blowing up and all these things are happening. Yet like there is this side that like maybe your average fan of music or whoever knows like what the listener know like, you know, who knows where they are. But it's like, there's also this side of it where it's like, you got so sick that you missed the first headliner that was so special could have died all honestly because of so much travel in the first place and then like you're probably just barely scratching the surface of making any kind of money then you're away from all your family like it's it's very interesting to me to see both sides of it because in that same year where everything's happening you're also like facing some very real life yeah yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, it's even weird now. Um like uh like my girlfriend now, she's very uh and I use this term very lovingly, normal. Mm-hmm. Like doesn't know heavy music or the scene that it came from or any of that, which is awesome. Yeah. Like one of the things that I was attracted to her about, but it's like uh she moved to Michigan last year and like whenever she meets someone new or talks to someone, she's like, Oh, I met this person and they know your band. Uh-huh. And she's like so amazed that like they know my band and I'm like so like famous to her. Yeah. And um I thought about it the other day and I was like, like, who the, the fuck am I that that just got to be normal? Like, oh, they know my band, like cool. Right. Like, why is that not so cool to me anymore? Yeah. Why is that not like a huge oh shit moment that like someone who I will never meet who I you know I've had some kind of influence or impact over and it's like I don't know the fact that like she is so I don't know like proud about yeah. it like oh and, and they know your band and like anyone else in my life would be like oh yeah of course they know your band like cool right and even me I'm like oh you know my band cool and I'm like why how did I get to the point where like, that's like not a super cool thing for me anymore? Yeah. I don't know. Like, uh, I think that, that, that like, I love that you still process that perspective. Um, cause like, what is that answer? Right? Like, it's not that you don't think it's cool, but it's just that it's become so normal. It's like, you've put so many hours into it now. And this is literally like, this is your life. Like from leaving high school, it's almost like you don't know anything else. Yeah, technically, this uh, this July will be fourteen years. That's since so since crazy. my first band practice. That is so insane to me. Like that, I. That's some years. Yeah. So I don't want to side like side tangent it too hard. Yeah, you're. But there's a lot you're of. Not the best driver. Listen. I'm very interested in the story, and there's a couple nuances here that I didn't know, so I'm personally just soaking it all up right now. Oh, it's crazy. You, you soak, pal. You soak. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> um, so, because I definitely want to get into 
just a bit of your current life now because like in talking to you like everything you've been up to now it's like I feel like you've hit another level of growing up even more um and it's like I don't want to glaze over the touring and like there's been so much that's happened in the band um but as you've continued to tour like some of it is almost just like a continued story of you continue to tour the band has continued to grow you've traveled to more places you've met more people you've put out more albums if i'm missing a integral piece here definitely stop me but i am interested in where you're at now and i know we only have so much time yeah i mean no that's there's been a ton of ups and downs throughout releasing all our all our records um you know after this tour is done probably gonna go back and make another one yeah that'll be six so that's it's a lot of songs a lot of songs to be written but yeah no there's just a, a ton of shit that has happened in the past even just you know 10 years since we released a plant of seed yeah well it's crazy like i just i feel like it's almost you can as a fan or as anybody that listens to your music like you can follow your journey of growing up through the music because your lyrics are so honest and like it went from josh in high school to josh like going through and like living some very real life and like having all sorts of different things happen to you and i think a lot of times the music can reflect that yeah yeah i don't i don't know what else to say to that besides yeah yeah. You know, we we took this weird dip on our fourth record where, um, you know, I'll take responsibility for it because I ultimately did it, but I was encouraged to write in different, a different way with a different sense of what integrity behind a song meant. And uh, honestly, it's just like dog shit. Like, it's so bad. Like, lyrically. Like, I look back at most of the lyrics that I wrote on the fourth record and I'm just like fucking embarrassed about it. Damn. Like you tried to water it down and you're just like, what is this? Yeah. And so coming back to cold, like war, our last record, there was like absolutely none of that. And, um, it's cool because like, I think our, our fans really noticed. And that was like something important to me. Something that I connected with on fans is, are connected with on fans that is quite the sentence um something that fans connected with me about is the i guess the realness of the lyrics the way that they could apply that to their life um there's this song on on the last record called foreign fire that i originally wrote about um just being gone for every good thing that happens yeah it's like every everything good that happens i'm never home for it and there's there's some really specific lyrics about uh, landing in Singapore, actually. And uh, I get this email from my mom that my grandpa had died. And literally the day before, I was in Florida, like, saying goodbye to him because we knew that he was going to pass. And it was like, I flew to Florida on a Friday. I flew home on Sunday night. I flew out Monday morning to Singapore. I landed in Singapore, and, like, and he was he was gone. And it's like... I write this whole song about like experiencing like that loss, not just like the loss of him, but like the loss of relationships and the loss of like everything. And that song at the time, like even now, like really summed up a lot of the years of touring of not that it wasn't like worth it, but just that there's like 
there's so much that I gave up yeah. and that I missed out on. Um, I have two nephews and four nieces and about to have another one pretty soon. It's like, I think only my youngest, Caroline, my youngest niece, was the only one I was there when she was born. Yeah. I was on tour for all of it. I'm always on tour for their birthdays and stuff. And it's like, I don't get to be Uncle Josh nearly as much as, as I want to. And that was like a huge factor in writing that song too. And, um, you know, it's a really emotional part of our set now, that song with Losing Kyle. And I think more than anything, like, being able to connect with our fans specifically on that song with like the place that I am in my life has like kind of brought me back to a point where I don't know. I like appreciate that. Yeah. You know, when you do something so much that it no longer becomes special and it's just normal. Yeah. Um, Like that was like touring for me and connecting with fans and influencing influencing people and you know that's why when my girlfriend's like oh my gosh they know your band and i'm like of course they do yeah it's like because that was normal for me yeah and all of those things that should be special became not special yeah and they're like at least so far on this tour it's like that one aspect in particular is starting to become more special to me again yeah well, it's like... I don't know what kind of fucking wild tangent that was, but... Well, no, like, again, like, I think that it's very easy to get lost in, like, the, the side of tour. You, you are missing those things, but the fact that now, since you have written such honest lyrics, that that can impact so many other people, and, like, even what Dave st- said on stage today, like, you know, talking about Kyle, like, that was really hard for everyone. Like, that's so unexpected and tragic and just terrible, right? Like, there's nothing else you can say there, and, like, obviously you guys all miss him more than anyone but like that song and like basically just dave saying like kyle in his happiest moment like would want this impression and like would want everybody to be he would want he said it so eloquently but like basically just like that energy and like his favorite thing was the band and his favorite thing was like making an impression and singing those words and like being on stage and just being we came as Romans and all of that. So I don't know, like that song specifically and just like looking at all of the work as a whole, I feel like it's like this unexpectedly incredible side of what you guys have done where it's like, you could have just been any other metalcore band, but like the fact that you did write something so impactful and that you guys have now experienced so much life and so much tragedy yet so much good. It's like, when you look back at it all now, it's like there's almost another layer of just beauty. Yeah, it's, you know, we did this headliner last uh, last year at about this time, and it was our first tour playing, um, playing Foreign Fire. And, you know, maybe like once or twice a week, sometimes three, depending on the show, you know, we would play Foreign Fire, and I would just cry. I would cry during the bridge you know, thinking about all of that stuff and thinking about, thinking about my grandpa and, um, you know, at that point I, you know, I turn away from the crowd and, you know, get a little emotional and, you know, that's fine. And that's, that's normal. And I wouldn't, I hope that, you know, every song that I write from this point forward, I can be that emotionally connected to, but it's like, 
you know, since Kyle's been gone, like, I, like, not ashamed at all. I cry every single day on stage, every single time we play that song. Yeah. It could be the shittiest show to 50 kids, which hasn't happened, but I guess it's just a good <laughs> metaphor, yeah. you know. And I'm still, you know, we play that song and I'm just losing my shit about it because now it just means something like so much more yeah. to me. It's like we play this festival today and I don't know, there's supposed to be like 7,000 pre-sale and I don't know, 8,000 people here, 9,000, however much. Yeah, that's big. However many thousands of people there. So it's like obviously like a large percentage of that like isn't here for just us. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're not even headlining. Of course, they're not here for just us. And it's like even then, like at that point in the set, like <laughs> I don't know, like I I always like get down on, on one knee or two knees depending on if I can balance myself because like it got to the point on the last tour where I like legitimately just like couldn't stand like I that we were playing the song and then I like go to turn my volume up on my guitar to come back in during the bridge and I was like and I'm on my knees I guess yeah I, I, I like don't even fucking remember it yeah and it's like even today like in front of a bunch of people that like maybe I'm not connecting with there's this one dude in the front though that knew like every fucking word wearing this green v-neck and I was like I was like, I bet this dude feels it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Just sad as shit, man. It really is. But like, I don't know. I think that that's something, again, that I admire so much about you is like from the time that I met you, like there's just this element of like, it's almost like just like how real you are about this stuff. Like it's like, it's funny. It's like, you almost never asked for this. Like you're almost just like, yeah, this is fun. I'll be in a band. Like this seems cool. And then you were so much your genuine self, uh, that this came of it. And like, I don't really know how many people know just how much you are involved in like the lyrics and the music of the band. But like, to me, it doesn't matter the genre. It doesn't matter the time frame. It doesn't matter if it's to 50 or 5,000 kids when you're making music that means something, I think that's really important. And that leaves such an incredible legacy. And it's like, that does touch people and help people. And, you know, like people that don't have a voice to talk about people they've loved or whatever. So it's like through all of it, I'm so glad you have your tour stories and all of the fun memories. And I'm so glad you've been strong enough to like go through the bullshit and fight through a coma and all this shit. Because like, at the end of it, I really do see you as an artist with such integrity that's like putting out such a positive message that helps people. Um, and I mean, I guess that's my tangent. It's like, I, I really, <laughs> really respect that. And it's so cool to hear that story and to hear where that comes from. Yeah, man. I don't know. I'm just, to me, I'm just like living. Like, this is just what life is. It's what is you what know. I, this is what I do. And this is how I live. And, how it happens and yeah you know i it's like i don't know like it's not like an extraordinary thing to me or it's you know there there are a lot of days where like you know i think everyone deals with this like i wake up and i'm like am i really a good musician <laughs> or like did this just like happen kind of thing you know what i mean did i get lucky at the right time did the metalcore gods bestow upon me 
their great luck. Well, I think the thing to say to that, though, is like that doesn't necessarily matter at this point because luck or not, you were taken, like you had a wave, you had this spot where you were able to like do something with it. And I feel like you did the right thing with it, right? Like you've, you've been, the timeless part about you as an artist is the fact that you just keep it so real and do what you do. So maybe, I don't know, maybe you were gifted on the, on the right time in the right place, but I very much admire and respect how you've kept it going. And I think that's why you still have the fan base that you do and people care so deeply. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Put out a lot of a lot of songs. So I guess the last piece that I want to touch on, which is much, much, much different, but just, again, you as a person and watching you grow. So you've been able to do this incredible thing with the band and keep it going. But I've also seen you grow into kind of an entrepreneurial business person as well now. Oh, yeah, that's me. Um, I'm trying, trying that, uh, that old hat on. Well, I'm, I'm really excited for that because who knows, like when we talk again in a year, what I'm sure we'll talk before a year, but I'm saying like when we properly catch back up, if we were to do a follow up or anything like that, uh, you're kind of just now scratching the surface of a lot of cool stuff. So yeah. Tell me about that briefly. Um, well, I am opening up a, uh, coffee shop and co-working space in, uh, Lexington, Kentucky with um, my my best friend David. Yep. He also plays drums in my band. <laughs> but, you know, David joined the band about two years ago and uh, we just, you know, I toured with him a bunch before when he was in Florida Day, but we just never hung out or clicked or any of that. Yeah. And uh, since he joined the band, we have been decently inseparable. Yeah. Um. Uh, like my girlfriend will always be like, is this okay with your boyfriend? Before I ask, <laughs> like, I know he has priority and I'm like, I'll ask David. Okay. Like, <laughs> Y'all are an excellent group of friends. I can vouch yeah. for that. And I mean, to be fair, David is 50% responsible for me and my girlfriend meeting. So he, you know, he gets some points on he that. He gets some custody. But uh, yeah, so we're doing that whole thing. Coffee shop and co-working space. It's going to be sick as fuck. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm we, excited. Yeah, it's we're in like the build out right now, so like all of the like super hard work is done, and now the contractors just got to do their thing. Yeah. Um. So that's gonna be real fucking tight. Um. You know, neither David or I have ever owned like a storefront business. Yeah. So that's gonna be cool. Uh, a lot of things to learn. Like, I don't give a shit if we make any money on it. And by I don't give a shit, I mean of course I would love some fucking money, but. <laughs> If we don't make any money on it, as long as I, like, learn something, yeah. and by learn something, I mean learn how to make money doing something else, you know? <laughs> I'm just saying, I got a small kitten and a pup at home yeah. and a mortgage to pay, all right? Yeah. You know, I'm going to be 30 this year. I got some real adult bills over here. Yeah. We're just watching you grow up. But legitimately, like, I'm cool. Like, if we, you know, break even forever... Like, that's fine. I'm hoping to just learn so much or as much as I can about starting a business from... I've already learned a fuck ton of stuff and realized how stupid I am. <laughs> but also how resilient I am to knowing that I'm stupid, you know? The word resilient resonates heavily there. Like, you have stayed resilient. Yeah, I think so. So, you're doing that. So, I'm doing that. Um, 
David and I are also doing a uh, like a digital marketing agency for for bands um, because there is a lot of wrong ways to do that and a lot of bands that don't understand the right way to do that, when to do that, why they should, or what goals they need to set. Yeah. Um, so we are like really, um, going for younger bands and just really trying to help them grow in the proper way. Like we'll get, you know, these bands fill out these questionnaires and it's like, what are your goals? And they're like, sign to a major label, get two managers. Like, Mm. and we're like, guys, like, you have two songs released on Spotify. Yeah. We're we're not doing any of that shit. Yeah. Why don't we start with setting up some online merch or maybe playing your first show? That's crazy. Um you know, it's there's so many bands that really need help but they don't make enough money to generate any interest from managers mm-hmm. and any managers that they would generate interest from are just shit bags that like are just shitty like they're you know i'm maybe it's just because like we did that when i was fucking younger but i'm a firm believer that there's a lot of steps that you need to take to like you know earn your place and and all that so david and i are helping bands out with that and doing some digital marketing and stuff and that's tight because you know money's tight yeah but i also feel like there is an element that is uh you caring and wanting to help like you've been through it with your own band so much and like i feel like this gives you another avenue to see that's the thing is like i keep saying money's tight because it is (laughs) but if i really wanted it i would do way other way different (laughs) things than what i'm doing right now yeah you know what i mean it's not a secret that nobody buys music anymore we car hasn't toured in six months yeah like what do you think my paycheck has really been looking like yeah i appreciate you keeping it that real too because i feel like a lot of times people slim the answer is slim (laughs) it's looking real slim i don't know i think that like you being finger on the pulse as you are and like finding other ways to incorporate music into your life and do other things like it's just such a cool journey to watch seriously yeah man and i mean i'm doing it and just especially with this digital marketing thing that i'm doing with david like yeah we want to like help these bands and grow these bands as best we can because you know i'm a very firm believer in like there's enough room for everybody to win yeah like everybody can be successful at the same time, I'm a very firm believer in there's nothing wrong with wanting to earn as much money as you possibly can. What you're going to do with that money will probably make me judge you based on the character of the person you are. Sure. But there's nothing wrong with wanting that. It's what you want to do with it from that point forward. I like that perspective. And, like, I don't know, because I, you know, I've said before to my parents or our friends, like, oh, yeah, like, money's tight, like, I want to get some. And they're <laughs> like, oh, it's, like, cool, go buy a car. I'm like, I drive a 2009 Diet Charger. <laughs> like, that's what my friends call it. <laughs> it's gross. It's not a nice car. Yeah. Like, no, I don't want a new car, and if I got money, I wouldn't get a new car. I'd probably make some improvements on the house that my girlfriend and I live in so our quality of life would be a little better. Yeah. Like, that is respectable. If someone's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm saving up all this money to redo my bathroom, a.k.a. that's what I'm doing right now because yeah. my bathroom is dirty and gross. You'll get it there. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Hopefully I can do that with 
all these things that I have going on. I believe in your bathroom renovation. I do too, because that's important. My last question for you is because, again, I don't know who the listener would be, but if there was a kid, say, in middle school, high school, that like is kind of where you're at. There's no way a middle schooler is listening to this podcast. Maybe they are. We don't know the audience yet. You find them. Hopefully your digital analytics will find them and then I can point them out and prove you wrong for this last question. Let me know if you need some guy. Okay, I will. Well, my question still holds up though, still stands of you have that kid 15, 16 years old, obsessed with music, trying to find his place. What advice do you give to that kid? It could be even a little version, like it could be you or just any type of kid that's like right at that spot where it's like, do they jump off? Do they commit? Like, where do they start? Just what is that advice? What would you tell that kid? I would say regardless of what it is, like commit to something, if you really love it or if you're really passionate about it, that would be great. Don't be afraid to be successful and don't be afraid to fail. Like let either of them, you know, come if they will. I love that. You know, and like figure out, I guess, your personal definition of success, what that looks like. You know, some people, it's a very physical thing where you have a lot of possessions and cool toys and, you know, whatever the fuck that is. Obviously, that isn't mine because I just kind of said that in a very judging tone. Sorry, kid listening. If that's yours, you buy that motor powers fidget spinner but i would say what i just said that's it i don't really need to add to that we've gone through so many tangents yeah don't be afraid of success don't be afraid of failure but figure out what those definitions both mean to you and as long as you're passionate about it then you should have a pretty good time in life just go chase it you're also going to have a bad time because something that you're passionate about there's going to be some letdowns or something that hurts and yeah get ready for that shit too. get ready for your album two lyrics because that shit will be there too yeah well damn i think we did the thing did we do the thing i think so i really appreciate you doing this i love the fact that we just made it work sitting down in the car yeah that's crazy i hope i think if we put out like a roadmap for like the topic discussion for this podcast it would look like a fucking tree There's branches <laughs> everywhere tangents we had a couple tangents i get it you're still there. you're still testing out your podcast on me listen you're, you're trying to figure out you know how it works behind the wheel of the old microphone i think though that the realest conversations are the most enjoyable with the podcasting so maybe we got a little bit rambly but i would hope that anybody out there that wants to learn about starting an artist project or that is potentially a fan of the band would love to hear some of these stories. So if you're not, I really apologize for the tangents. And if you are, you're goddamn welcome. Oh no. Whenever you put this out, I'm going to, I'm going to rip a good old tweet about it. Oh yeah. You know, the seven people that follow me, one of them's going to listen to the first five minutes. So they'll never get to this. And they're going to like the tangent, but yeah, maybe we're tangenting on the tangents at the end of the episode. 
The episode yeah. should have ended three minutes ago, and we're tangenting again about tangents and ending. Like I said, you're a bad driver. This is an ending. I think it's that I'm a good friend, and we have a lot to talk about, and we have good banter. Yeah, no, you're a great friend. Still a bad driver. Well, I think I just have to end it here now, or we're just going to tangent more, and I'm just going to continue to... I'm doing it again. So here we go. End of the episode. I had a great time with you. So there you have it. Joshua Moore from We Came As Romans. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope you enjoyed our banter. Um, If you did make it here to the end, help me prove him wrong and respond to both him and I at Andrew underscore FTW and at Awesome Joshua and let him know that you made it to the end so I can prove him wrong. Uh, But no, really, I, I just hope you liked it and I hope you got something out of it. So until next time, thank you for listening. Later.